final time here in 2022. Welcome to the Steve Day Show. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to all of you. It is the final original program of the year. And of course, Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre are here with me as well. I hope you had an opportunity to watch yesterday's two-hour year-in-review Dace Group with our special guests, Paul Alexander and Sarah Gonzalez. Had a ton of fun with that. But today, for the final show, the final two hours, it's just the three of us, the trio together, like the Thompson twins, that somehow were a trio or a duo, even though they were a trio. How are they twins when there's three? I didn't understand that in 1984, Todd, and I, I don't understand it today. Nevertheless, Hold me now. We are here for the final show of 2022. Here's how it will work. We will begin with the countdown of our top 10 stories of the year as selected by Todd and Aaron. We will then take a look back at my crystal ball predictions that I laid out last Christmas for the year 2022 and tragically laugh at me as I will be dead wrong on virtually everything. Now, I've not looked at these since last December because I want to salvage whatever shred of pride and dignity that I have left as a man at this age. Nevertheless, the the scourging will begin as we go through that trail of tears. And then we will close it out with our clip of the year, which will uh, spark, I'm sure, plenty of discussion as well. Gentlemen, your thoughts before we get going here on the final show of 2022. I just want to say that um, for the most part, usually Todd and I come separately with uh, separate lists of our top 10 stories nomination. You know, I looked back over months and months and months, but Todd basically did all of the work on this one. So I just want to give him proper, proper, propers here. Well, thank you, Todd. Your thoughts? Well, it it wasn't that much work. And uh I just was sitting around one day and said, I think I'm going to crank this out. And it came pretty uh, easily. I I really got the jump start on it because last year when Aaron and I did it, we like we did our lists separately. We gave them to each other. We collated them. And then it was like a couple of days later, we realized we totally forgot evacuating Afghanistan. Uh, so that's kind of it. I Every year I say, you know what I should start doing in January? I should like... Like month by month, start making, and I never do it. And so, was that this year? I thought it was twenty one that that happened. No, it was. But when we did this, oh, last you're talking year, about last year as you were going yeah. through it. Like I couldn't remember was Kyle Rittenhouse's right. trial this year or last year. I thought it was, that was last, last year. year. Yeah. Okay, but end of last year. Yeah, but to your point, yeah. When I was going through my day group topics, I'm just like, there has been so many major stories that have gone down here in the last few years. I'm having a hard time. I mean, when was the Afghan, you know, betrayal? When when we left people behind? When was the Rittenhouse verdict? When right. we actually saw the rule of law triumph for a change in America? It's 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 hard to keep all of these straight. So I, I don't envy the task that the two of you put together or, or ventured forth this year, as you do every year at this time, to, to come up with the, just 10. The worst part about it is that, like putting these in order, you know, like number 10 in a functioning society should be number one. I mean, it's just all, it's all dark and bad and ridiculous. It's all dark and bad and ridiculous is maybe what the name of the show should get changed to. It's all dark and bad and ridiculous. Nevertheless, we'll stay with the punchier Steve Day show. Aaron, let us begin. Number 10, Hail Hydra. 
In the dead of the Canadian winter, thousands of protesters, led by scores upon scores of truckers, created a logjam in the capital of Ottawa, protesting the country's continued draconian lockdown and jab passport policies. The reaction of the Canadian government in lockstep with other Western powers taken over by the spirit of the age and World Economic Forum, pardon the redundancy, was to treat these protesters as insurrectionists, freezing their bank accounts and forcing them out of the city, among other tyrannical measures. Similar protests with similar reactions were seen in places like the Netherlands, where farmers staged multiple protests against that country's continued march towards a Greta Thunberg future. There are pockets of resistance everywhere, but everywhere there seems to be a WEF flack ready to hail Hydra. See what I mean? Like, I, evil I super forgot villains, that that was this year. Evil supervillains taking over the world is only the 10th most significant thing that happened. I completely forgot that this was this year. And if you go to the, you know, the, this past winter, that was the dominant thing we talked about. That and the, the court fight against the jab mandates probably would have been, if you go back and look at our podcast topics and January and February, would those have not been the dominant topics probably mm-hmm. that were discussed daily on the show? And if you if you look at, wow, that was this year. I mean, this story is still ongoing. The, the legal fights for the organizers, um, I think at least a couple of them were arrested, if I recall, and spent some time in jail before appeals courts in Canada finally released them. The, the battle with the, the Dutch farmers or in, in their government, that battle is still ongoing. Well, you mentioned Norway, but this is going mm-hmm. on in, in, in Holland as well. The, the Dutch farmers are still waging war there with the Greta, as, as Aaron put it, basically trying to impose the Greta Thunberg um, agenda in, into the food supply. And I mean, I, you want to talk about depopulation. <clears throat> let's, let's have a massive shutdown of human society so people don't have access to mental health and uh, physical health uh, screenings and tests and prognosis uh, for months on end, maybe up to a year in some places. And then on top of that, let's go ahead and go full Greta Thunberg on the food supply and let's just starve all the more, right? Let's, let's, it, let's shut down industry and then let's shut down industry. I mean, if you want to talk about Malthusian ethics at, you know, incarnate, that would do it. When I started the Days Online Twitter account and I thought, what, what's the greatest way I can make an impact? And one of our repetition, finding my own kind of memes. And obviously we joke about how the particular people, Mm -hmm. David French arrest Katie Hobbs. But this, I honestly don't think it, it's much of a rhetorical flourish when I say hail Hydra Hmm. about a lot of, or pick, pick Batman league of shadows. Mm -hmm. can you comment on that? I, I really believe there is a version of that. I mean, we, we know what this World Economic Forum is, but that's clearly a front for something deeper, m- more, more, even more sinister, it, it, because it can't yet, it's been pretty honest, but it can't be totally honest about what's going on. Am I, I mean, you, you love superheroes as much as anybody. I think this is pretty on the nose when I say hey, I'll I, I I agree, and it and it's something that would be more culturally relevant to people than you know Nikolai Carpathia references, which I have dabbled with. There you go. But yeah. but to reiterate again, and 
I think I said this on this show maybe even just a couple of weeks ago. In the New Testament, Paul says, when the time was right, God sent his son. Now, what does that mean? Why was the time right? Well, first of all, God's timing is perfect because he is. So it was right because he committed the action. He's, he's right in essence, right? So since he did it at that time, the time was right. Mm-hmm. But God is also a God of order, the scriptures say. So it wasn't just arbitrarily. If you want an arbitrary, capricious God that you never quite really know where you stand, try Islam. That'll fit right into your, you know, that'll fit right into your fetish there. But, uh, but the God of the Bible is a God of order. Um, a God of providence, a God of sovereignty. And so when, it, when, when Paul says when the time was right, he doesn't just mean God got up that morning and said, you know what, I think they've suffered long enough. Let's send the Messiah. It, it, they didn't spiel, spin the wheel of destiny. You know, We're not determining who wins the ACC Coastal. All right? they're, 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 that when the time was right, after Babel, the first time that human society was largely governed not I did I say solely governed? No. I said largely governed. There were also there were still large pockets of humanity not under Roman rule like in the far east for example. But so because we're in a you know we're we're centuries before Marco Polo for instance. But for the that was the first the very first moment that that, that a large swath of human society that was accessible here's the key why through Rome and not the Far East? Accessible through the line of the Messiah. That's, that is the primary function. From a New Testament understanding, the primary function of the kingdom of Israel it was, is, was, to, was to be a light to other nations. But the light that is the light of men is the Messiah. Right? That, mm-hmm. that, it was to, be the, to preserve the line of the Messiah, ultimately. And so where, where was the largest configuration and conglomeration of human beings on planet Earth that a, mo- a grassroots movement from the, the line of Messiah could reasonably reach with proto-forms of technology, early forms of, say, concrete and paving, um, you know, seafare, things of that nature, mm-hmm. governed under a singular set of customs or language, the Greco-Roman world, singular customs and laws, all right? When was the first time from the moment that God gives the prophecy that Eve will one day bear a son that will crush the head of the serpent, from that moment and to Babel, after Babel, what was the, where, when was the first time that a movement descended from the line of the Messiah could impact such a large uh, sector of the human population? Real, real, realistically, that moment. That was the first time. That was the first time. And that's why when the time was right. God sent his son, meaning the very, Paul is saying, at the very first instant it was possible for a movement inspired by Messiah to change the world. At the very first moment it was conceivable, God acted. That's love. The very first moment God acted, he, that, he, that it could be conceivable, he acted. When is the very first moment? And the one thing we know about the enemy is he loves to retard, bastardize, distort, um, invert what God does, right? Yeah. Can't counterfeit it. Another way of putting Order, it. Order, chaos. Yes. 
when was the when is the first time that a counter movement could really be done where enough nationalistic rivalries and fervors would be voluntarily laid aside to come under the allegiance or jurisdiction of a singular entity that divvying up ordering dividing society along those lines loyalty to that spirit of the age or as the the language that john uses in the new testament the beast that loyalty could truly be enforced and tested on a regular basis when 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 before in human history have we seen anything like what we saw the last few years of covid where countries who hate each other who can't be in the same room together India and Pakistan locked themselves down just the same. Everybody did it. Everybody, all who looked upon the beast gazed upon it and marveled at it. They asked, who is like the beast? Who could wage war upon it? When was the first time that that prophetic language could even come close in human history to being something that we could realistically see achievable? The last few years. We've lived in them. Now, does that mean that we're living in the time that that language will be fulfilled? Not necessarily. We're just reading the signs of the times, and we're human beings, and we could be reading them wrong. It wouldn't be a crazy bet, though. But it wouldn't be a crazy bet. It is, at the very least, you have to admit, it's the first time that it's truly achievable. So when the time was right, the first time it was truly achievable, that a movement of human beings could spread this message to this many people for this maximum influence, the first time that was possible, God sent his son. The first time the world was ripe for this level of unilateral singular allegiance and surrender to a regime or an agenda without a shot being fired is right now. Does that answer your question about what might be behind such movements potentially? I think the the book Nefarious Plot answers that question. Preach. Amen. Number 9. Selling out. The 2022 midterms were right around the corner and with the disastrous inflation rate An opposition president with historically low approval ratings, 2022 was the time for Republicans to band together and cast a unified vision for the future against the aforementioned dystopian backdrop. Instead, many Republicans in Washington sold out on immigration, guns, and just recently voted to declare war on the church with friends like these. Should have just called this Hail Hydra Part Two. Yeah, I mean, I kind of almost feels like it's the same story. You could do this just story domestic. Every, I could you, do you this could, all day. You could do this story every single year, but I think it is unique. Unique in that it happened on a very advantageous-looking midterm year. So, confession time for the, for all these years when I've said things like the only party that hates you more than the Democrats are the Republicans. I mean, I I I didn't necessarily mean for you to take that like wholly literal i mean it, it, i'm making a point okay that that i think with you know most of you understand that embedded within the republican party is a pocket of people who do hate you more than the republic the democrats do for different reasons it's personal to them they use you more than they serve you yeah yes yeah yeah They're, it's personal to them and and you're the reason they have to pretend 
to not be who they really are and just go up there and rape, pillage, and plunder the treasury and our children's future and the rule of law and our constitutional republic in their own way for their own constituents, constituencies as the Democrats do for theirs. You're the reason why. They have to, they have to pretend otherwise. As Aaron and Todd just pointed out, this is the year that those elements ceased pretending. And now what I was saying, somewhat for rhetorical flourish, as you like to say, Todd, somewhat for effect, or as the late great Rush Limbaugh used to put it, um, illustrating absurdity by being absurd, okay, is literal truth now. It is literal truth now. I mean, I, I thought I was making a polemical statement about the rotten state and core of the Republican Party. What this year proved is it was a prophetical one. I don't know what else to say other than that. Yeah, somebody uh, came back at me, Joni Ernst, in that picture, Iowa senator, and I, uh, I flat out called her a traitor, and he came back at me and said that that's unfair. She served her country. Um, then she like, should really know better then. Well, that, which is why I actually used the term because it should, uh, hit the mark more than a, a civilian. And furthermore, like, what have you not learned any, like why that's like magic R stuff. W- what you can't be a traitor mm-hmm. and serve your country. What? I don't. Th- th- Benedict Arnold was keep, a tremendous soldier before yeah, he sold stop, to the, out to the British. Stop allowing yourself these outs. On the painfully that's the, that's nostalgia trips. talking. Yeah, yep. that's like it, I, I and that and nostalgia says it can't be that bad. I don't want to right. accept it because then I have to be honest about what must be done. Right. And I it. get it. I get it, man. I'm a child of the '80s. We've talked about this this year. You and I grew up in the because we're America bitch yeah. era. I mean, I, I I can't imagine going back when I left WHO to start on this mission of trying to use a plat, create a platform with the talent God gave me to try to do whatever I could do, a little, a lot, who knows, to try to make a biblical worldview mainstream. Can you imagine going back to when we launched this company in February of 2011? Can you go imagine going back, Todd, and talking to the Steve Dace of February 2011 and saying, hey, you're going to, by the time this is done, you're going to be tweeting, shatter the FBI into a thousand pieces. Yeah. Never in a freaking million years, yeah. man. Or, or, or uh, never in a million years. Or you would sit there and say, get out of all these countries. What are we doing in all these countries? What is the point of this? Yeah. But, but this is the danger of truly being a truth seeker is in the end, the truth is the dogma. Not your dogma is the truth. And you have to see things as they are, not as you project or wish or want them to be. And so I have been, I've I've taken positions on things that I think line up with my worldview, but are applications of my worldview I never foresaw, but I had to, I had, I I had to react to the truth of, of the systemic level of corruption and evil, or as you put it earlier, Hail Hydra, that was in front of me. And to, and to do otherwise would be naive would be nostalgia talking. And I, and, I, and I get that temptation to want to cling to that nostalgia because if you let go of it, if you smash that idol, you end up in places where I am, like, like where I am right now, where I say things out loud like, I'm not trying to save this country now. I'm trying to defeat it. Whatever this is, I have no interest in saving it. I, I, we need to defeat this country. And it's waving my flag and playing my, my, my anthem and everything else, but that, you know, they can call it whatever they want. But I have no interest in being a patriot of that country. I'm an insurgent. Uh, I am. I'm here to defeat it. 
And I, I get, I get the conflict that that produces. Now, I don't know your spiritual beliefs, but for those of us that call ourselves Christians, Jesus warned us about this. Do not think I came to bring peace, but a sword. Mother against daughter, father against son. That's, that's what absolute truth does. Is it, it divides very quickly and tells us who here is really interested in truth and who here only wants to accept the truth on the basis of whether it's convenient or painless or rewarding to do so. Which other generations, by the way, used to call situational ethics or moral relativism. Number eight, my crane, not your crane. <laughs> the proxy war without end between Klaus Schwabians and Putinites forever and ever, amen, started in the middle of winter when Russia launched its special military operations in eastern Ukraine, attempting to annex the entire country, I guess, Crimea Peninsula style. A war of propaganda instantly erupted. No media reports out of the country could be trusted. We got some new celebrity who wears green shirts named Zelensky and tons of innocent people have been killed. Despite the fact nothing out of that blank hole country can be trusted, you have to think this conflict has gone a lot longer than Vladimir Putin expected. Agreed, which is why one of my 10 predictions when we come back in January, um, I already teased with yesterday's day group, make one big prediction for the next year. One of those predictions that we'll be, uh, we'll, we'll be discussing in January that I teased yesterday, I, I don't think Vladimir Putin survives the year as Russian leader. And, and I'll say now that I'm going to make that prediction because I don't want to make the other prediction. Yeah. From the very beginning this was launched, I have been very consistent about this on two fronts. Number one, I don't believe anything anybody's telling me. That's number one. And number two, now that Putin has gone there, he has crossed that red line, this is a zero-sum game for him. He has to win. I have said this all along, right? He has to win. If you understand the Russian geopolitical situation, it's, it's the ultimate gangster government. And Vladimir Putin presides over basically a council of oligarchs like the five families of New York City, and he's the Don. He's the godfather. He presides over it. Underneath him are absolutely, in some cases, ruthless oligarchs in their own right. And we call them Russian oligarchs. In past iterations of America, we called them mafia bosses, mob bosses, crime lords, kingpins. And one of the things that you know about those sorts of subcultures is the underlings aren't submissive willingly. They think of the famous scene in The Untouchables where Robert De Niro's Al Capone is presiding over his own council of oligarchs, as they call them in Russia, or mob bosses or mafiosos, as we call them here in the U.S. The famous speech, the team is only as good as its weakest link, right? We know how that speech ends in the movie. But an example was being made for everybody else. Hey, even though the feds are cracking down, even though this... Elliot Ness guy is after us. 
make sure you remember here who's in charge. Don't go cutting deals. Don't go starting your own thing. Don't smell weakness from me. You're the weakness. And that's, that's how those sorts of subcultures are governed, ruthlessly. But what happens within those subcultures when the guy at the head of the table, everybody starts to suspect, or maybe even only a couple, start to suspect, you know what? I don't think the old man has it anymore. I think he's past his prime. In this case, Vlad's out there getting his ass handed to him by some punk reject in a green shirt hosting American pop bands and politicians for photo ops. I'd kind of like to sleep in the master bedroom in the Kremlin tonight. I'd kind of like to have the, the best harem. The hottest hookers. The notoriety. Control legions of tanks. See, these are things we don't understand in our modern era. One, because in much of Western society has progressed, and I mean that in the truest sense of the term, not the bastardized political one, has progressed beyond such barbarism that marked much of human history up until this most recent era. Number two, most of, most of the men of, of the West are such wimps they couldn't even put themselves in the shoes of... That's why we look at somebody like Elon Musk, who's not the same as Vladimir Putin at all, other than they're both alpha males. And we're like, we need to study this figure. I mean... He's got these views we don't agree with, and yet he, he behaves in ways we don't anticipate. Um, pardon me. Uh, this is, folks, a man. This is what men of the West did, whether they went to church or did not, whether they had a wife and kids or didn't, regardless of what their political orientation was. They instinctively wanted uh, to, to call out BS and be number one and believe that second place was the first loser. This is what men in the West were like for centuries. That's why the West was best. This is what our men were like. That's what they built, the West. They're not like that anymore. And so Elon Musk seems like this enigma to us when really he's just a throwback alpha male to another era. Trump as well in his own way. Trump's the same in his own way. You don't need to be psychoanalyzing. These are just dudes, man. Just dudes. This is what dudes used to be like. And so because we're not like that in the West anymore in mass, we don't understand guys like that. And we certainly don't understand the kind of subculture that rules over a country like Russia right now. We certainly don't get that. And he rules with an iron fist. And if there is any weakness, the guys underneath him are like, might be my turn now. And I think we are approaching that time. There is no way no way. I don't believe Vladimir Zelensky is some freedom-fighting hero, but there is no way anybody from Vladimir Putin on down in the Kremlin still thought this would still be an open contest heading into frickin' Christmas. No way they thought that. No way. To me, that speaks that Ukraine and those sending money and aid... Uh, its way need to win just as bad as Putin does. Listen, Ukraine was basically Wakanda, a dark Wakanda before this, a place we knew existed, but underneath it's entirely something different than that place on the map that uh, you knew was just kind of mm-hmm. in the old Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. This this place is a, 
This is why Russian collusion happened. This is why impeachment happened. Uh, It is a money laundering operation for the Hail Hydra we talked about. Uh, And they, they need to win just as badly. I agree. And because of that, you have seen Western countries. You've seen the Davos the the Davos Soros faction, you've seen countries like Germany threaten to just literally not be able to heat their home, their citizens not being able to heat their homes here in the wintertime. You've seen the wreckage of, of the energy supply, economies and everything else in order to uphold uh, to, in order to uphold what Ukraine represents to the entities that you just yeah. described. They went for broke. And I'm I don't know that Putin thought that they were going to be that committed to it. One more quickly before the break. Number seven, inflation. In January of 2021, the average price for a dozen of eggs was a little less than $1.50. Now the average price for a dozen eggs is over $2 more at three sixty. Enough said. I don't even know what, you, you know, the graphics that we have seen this year about how much prices for certain products or services have skyrocketed and jumped. You don't even need commentary to that stuff. It just it speaks for itself. You mentioned it yesterday about the the red wave that wasn't the status quo was held. You remember it used to be the economy stupid. Yeah, it's not even that. It's just it's anymore. And I think it, and I do think it is. Each side now is so dug in that it won't even contemplate, no matter how bad things get, the other side being in charge because the values are just anathema to one another. And that's not polarization, that's balkanization. And the next step is Sumter. The Steve Day Show. I love this music. Let's let this play for a second. This is good stuff. You should do a shout out. Again, for the people that made it, because you did a couple of days ago. People, a lot of people. Are oh, when I asked Aaron, because people were saying, "Hey, yeah, who made?" Somebody asked me again. Yeah. So. Who? This is the proprietary stuff, right, Aaron? Just yeah, like I don't stu- know. I mean, this is stuff that you know. There's this the way that th- that this works. If you don't have access to licensing to like Trans Siberian Orchestra or Mannheim Steamroller, which. Um, we are a successful company, but the millions of dollars that that would cost just right. doesn't justify it. You go to these royalty kind of generic music websites. A lot of Christmas music, because it's so old, is uncopyrighted. It, there's no copyright on it. So people, groups can put together arrangements and um, kind of make it more generic. So I really don't remember what the, and I don't even know what the... Uh, name of the artist or anything of this is, but I, I got it at a website called Megatracks. Well, whoever did that orchestral rendition of Hark the Herald Angels saying, whoever you are, we like it. Well done. All right, let's continue on our final episode of the year. It's our year in review, counting down the top 10 stories of the year as rated and chosen by Todd and Aaron. Let's continue. Number six, groomers. After the ball was prophecy. The sexual deviancy arm of the spirit of the age is on the cusp of attaining what it always wanted, access to your children for sexual grooming. This year, Drag Queen Story Hour and so-called family-friendly drag shows were either at their zenith or were being exposed at an alarming rate. 
Regardless, there were no shortage of defenders of child grooming in the media and amongst Democrat activists. Again, sorry for the repetition. Culminating with the epic fight in Florida over the bill there, which banned teachers from discussing their sexual orientation with students. A devastating new moniker for detractors of the bill. Groomers was spawned. And the rest, as they say, was history. This, to me, is one of the most and maybe the most discouraging story or trend I have seen in my career. And and the reason why I say that is because these are the kinds of things, go back a decade, a little longer. You know, 2008, Barack Obama was running for president as the Democratic nominee on being for, quote-unquote, traditional marriage, right? Right. So... When when we had all the momentum in this fight, when we won 32 state elections on marriage in a row, including places like California, for example, when we won 32 of them in a row and the other side dare not, even Barack Obama trying to run for president the first time, didn't have enough clearance from the tower at, with the powerful bio of America's first black president, not even he had thought he could get away with just coming right out and be pro-rainbow jihad. When we had all that momentum and this debate was raging at that time, this, when, when, when people like me were doing shows warning you, what would happen if we lost this argument? The kinds of slippery slope things that we said, hey, do this and blank will come next. None of us ever did this. None of us. I, I guarantee, you know, I know, know Russia's archives are still around. I, I guarantee you found Russia's archives during the, you know, 2006, 2007, I, 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 2005, 2004, George W. Bush basically got reelected president because there were gay marriage, uh, you know, uh, pro-marriage ba- amendments on the ballot in Florida and Ohio. And that's how he won those states. And the number two issue in the exit polls that year was moral values, remember. I guarantee you, that when we were on offense on these issues, when we had the momentum and they were raging, no one ever predicted. And if, you, if we don't stop this now, dudes will be dropping their hairy sacks on your kids' faces and teabagging them at the library while reading them a story. No one said that, I guarantee you, let alone yeah. thought it. And their moms are the it. ones who took them there. Yes, and yet, here we are. We went beyond... I, I not only lived to see us go way beyond whatever slippery slope argument I thought I could reasonably concoct that might actually achieve itself or realize itself in my day and age, not only saw us go beyond that in my lifetime, but in a pretty short amount of time. And that's why I find this story just just so discouraging. And... Our colleague Sarah Gonzalez recently came up with another video where she visited one of these events, these, quote, family-friendly drag shows and asking moms on their way out. I think it was good to take your kid to see this, saying things like, well, they don't get anything different at school. They need to learn about this stuff. You're all horrible people. You're all, you all should all be ashamed of yourselves. And frankly, you ought to be arrested for child abuse. Because if, if, <laughs> if a male... If a male showed your kids a video of this behavior and tried to entice them with that, they would rightfully be busted for child pornography. 
But hey, I guess if mom takes you to see it in person, then I guess it's not, right? It's just, it's so evil. It's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it, it, it's discouraging. It's the kind of evil that makes you not want to fight it. But just go full Jonah and say, you know what, man? F those guys. If that's what you want, I'm just going to... I'm going to pitch the tent here and wait for the sulfur to fall because it is vastly deserving. It's the kind of evil that makes it real hard to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That kind of evil. On this issue, I'm Aragorn at Helm's Deep. Offer them no mercy for none will be offered to you. They're after your kids. What are you going to, what are you prepared to do about that? That's it. Preach. Number five, Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis took on the mouse and won over a culture war issue. And then he turned around and won re-election as Florida governor by a record margin. There's a lesson in there somehow, but I can't quite put my finger on it. Is this the best year we have ever seen from an American politician? Yes. At least on the right. Yes. At least on the right. Yes. You know? I mean, I... He's our Obama. And... I think that's a, in terms of what you mean, a person doing doing so much damage on our side that it's the kind of stuff that could long outlive him in response. Similar is that is that kind of what you mean by that? Yes, and setting aside the example you rightly just used about it, he he still had to be uh, pro marriage, but mm-hmm. his sense of mission and purpose mm-hmm. was. I mean, he he was an incredibly effective president uh he got no question he got things done yeah irrevocable things that we'll never be able to undo i think the mistake a lot of people even on our side made is uh uh, oh just a he's a fantastic orator but that's really all he i didn't he could talk there's people who can give just as great of a speech as barack obama he's he's but he's a far better community organizer Mm mm-hmm the guy, I mean, he'll he's he looks uh, nice. He goes and plays basketball, things like that. But at the end of the day, he was a gangster. Well said. Number four, Musk does the deal. Elon Musk, the world's richest man, surprised everyone when earlier this year he announced his intention to purchase the social media platform Twitter, saying the platform and open discourse is crucial to the future of humanity. Musk, after a somewhat drawn-out court battle, ended up buying the company and taking it private. Musk then proceeded to publicize the thousands of internal documents which showed the company was indeed engaged in ideological censorship, often at the behest of the government, but mostly at the whims of its own employees. Musk has also taken to unbanning Twitter users who were booted from the platform for often dubious reasons, a monumental disruption in the media and social media landscape. I want to say that I, th- I think I think what, whatever we happen to think at this moment as a show or us as individuals on the show about the usefulness or potential of further investment in Donald Trump as a political entity. Stories like this about Musk and what he's doing, I don't think any of these things happen without Trump. I think he's the trailblazer here. I think, I think, I think he is the one that showed disruption 
if you can put up with the name calling, if, if you're financially insulated enough, then disruption is, is absolutely achievable. And I think the, the two guys we just talked about back to back are proof positive of this and in many respects are his progeny. I, I think that Ron DeSantis is the ideological progeny of Donald Trump, that he is the fulfillment, you know, that Trump, in, in a way, you know, we've, we've joked about some people on our side, uh, Cheeto Jesus saves. And you remember how, you know, I used to bristle in 2016 at the comparisons of Trump to Nebuchadnezzar. And I'm like, you guys remember the, has anybody read a Bible around mm-hmm. here? Anybody know the story of Nebuchadnezzar? That's not a good comparison. In, in, a, in, in, in socio-political parlance, I think Trump is John the Baptist. The more I think about it. I, I've compared him to Samson in the past, but now I, I see it more as a John the Baptist, kind of this crazed figure. But he's a herald, a forerunner. Not the fulfillment of anything. He is the announcement of what is coming. And I think that Ron DeSantis is the, is the ideological fulfillment of the issues and causes that Trump championed in his rallies and in his campaigns. And I think that Elon Musk is the disruption fulfillment of what was chanted at Trump's rallies, like drain the swamp, lock her up, that he's actually doing the sorts of things from a disruption standpoint that Trump really never accomplished. Like, he, we could have learned a lot about what we probably are learning now through the Twitter files if Trump had declassified all of the FISA warrants about Russian collusion, but he didn't do that, right? What Elon Musk did is all that... Musk is doing the kinds of stuff like, if we had this kind of power and money, what would we do? And that's what he's doing. We're not just talking about it, we're doing the thing. And I think that that has left a sh- you know the ground shrinking beneath Trump's feet as a future... Um, as, as, a, as a future political investment or, or commodity. But I, I don't think we're here with, I absolutely don't think we're here with either Elon Musk or Ron DeSantis without the ground that was, uh, the, that was, that was the trail that was blazed by Donald Trump. And the subsequent reaction to him, mm-hmm. I mean, the kind of yin and the yang, it, it drove the left to a point of madness. Yeah. That, yeah. And I think these two guys, by the way, learned from that. Yeah, yes. And learned that we're not going to stop them from exactly. overreacting to us, but we can also have more discipline in how we react to it to lessen the backlash mm-hmm. against people that maybe are still open for business and persuadable. I think they learned yeah. from those things. I mean, hey, in, early in my career, one of my best friends, I've talked about him before over the years, was, uh, uh, God rest his soul, Jonathan Narciss. But Nar- Jonathan was a personality a lot like Trump's, Okay. And he just could not stop saying stuff that was very true at the time, but didn't kind of need to be said and just created unnecessary backlash against the larger mission he was trying to accomplish. And since I had a personality a lot like Jonathan's, frankly, and wanted to say all those things too, I f- tried to learn from what mistakes I saw him make and, and where it was successful to dial those things back and to, and to save your ammo for alienating people over things that aren't just personality driven. And I think, frankly, learning from Jonathan is a little bit why I was more successful doing in Iowa what he tried for many years to do on the ground politically. And I think you're, you're seeing something very similar with DeSantis and with Trump, in all honesty. Agreed. Number three, 
Depopulation, a.k.a. died suddenly. Mm -hmm. If I had told you three years ago that a young, fit athlete was taking a jog or recovering from a workout one minute and was dead the next from something heart-related, you might have been surprised but shrugged it off as something chronic, under the surface, doctors didn't catch, something like that. If I had told you three years ago, however, that this was happening all over the world to the same types of individuals with increasing frequency... You would have said something nefarious is afoot. Well, here we are, and something nefarious is afoot indeed. I can't add anything to more to that. I mean, I think you summarized it perfectly, Aaron. And I just reiterate again here in my own home state, through October, excess deaths in Iowa are trending higher, noticeably higher, than they were same time period the three years prior to COVID. And it ain't long COVID, as they're going to claim, because... In the last 280 days during that, only once in the 280 days during one of that period, did Iowa have even double figures of COVID deaths, and that was 10 on July 10th. That's the only time in those 280 days that Iowa was in double figures with COVID deaths. So it's not long COVID. It is something else. And we sure as hell better figure out what that is. And I think we all know at least what one of the contributing factors to that is. At least. It's a contributing factor. At least. Number two. The red wave that wasn't. It was supposed to be a historic rebuke of even an extinction-level event for a political party who had so pushed the envelope of decency, morality, and incompetence so far even a woebegone culture like ours couldn't take it anymore. Wrong! Instead, Republicans got a tepid majority in the House and now are in the minority in the Senate. The aforementioned price of eggs ain't high enough, I guess. I've said this before about Roe, but let's add in what, what Musk is doing with Twitter and, and the information that he's letting out there. Knowing what we know about these Republicans, are we better off? We've all agreed that we'd take Roe over many of these Republicans mm-hmm. having more power, right? Now add into the deal what Musk is doing and revealing about the system mm-hmm. and putting out there in plain yeah. sight with, with documentation and, you know, I, I think a lot, of pe- a lot of us in audiences like this around the country prayed for God to move this election year and waking people up. And I think it's possible that he actually did in even more than we had hoped or asked. It's just we are married myopically to a system that it has to work a certain way within that system. You know, similar to when the priest told Herod, nothing good comes from Nazareth. Sorry, I couldn't, who cares if these wise men are going to Nazareth? Nothing good comes from Nazareth. It it would come among us. We would know. Mm -hmm. It would be within our system. We would see it coming. We're special. And I, I'm, I, I am wondering, because I fell into this too. I was in, I was in some serious despair after the election. You guys know this. I wasn't hiding it. But in the last month, I've begun to wonder if actually God showed up in spades, just wasn't too into pouring new wine into old wineskins. He was just like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing that thing anymore. You guys continue on, but I'm going to be over here. It reminds me of when you tell about the story of the Israelites and their backs against the Red Sea and be still. Yeah. I mean, Elon Musk and Roe v. Wade have frankly already done more good than we think most of these Republicans we wanted to win would have done, right? We'll come back. Hour two is next. 
And greetings back here with hour two of our final show of the year here on the Steve Day Show. That is yours truly with Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, and all of you. And don't forget that you can let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox by emailing us, Steve at SteveDace.com. You can like us on Facebook, MeWe, Gab, and also follow me at Steve Day Show on Getter, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, and then get clips of the show free to watch and free of absolutely any censorship when you head over to rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. And don't forget the last name is D-E-A-C-E. If you're listening to the podcast, if you have yet to do this, please leave us a five-star review, hit subscribe or follow, and thank you to all of you that have done those things for us already. It's our very final show of 2022. We are looking back first and foremost at the top 10 stories of the year. We've got just a couple more to go, and then we'll look back on what I thought would be the 10 biggest things that would or wouldn't happen this year, and we will tragically see probably how far off I was. And then we will conclude next segment with our clip of the year, which will certainly inspire and spark some conversation thereafter. But Aaron, let's first continue and conclude our top 10 stories of the year as determined both in terms of the story and the order by you and Todd. Final one, number one, Roe overturned. After decades of prayer, grassroots efforts, failed promises from Republicans and Big Baby in Washington, D.C., the landmark Supreme Court decision Roe v. Wade was overturned, meaning the issue of baby killing has been returned to the states. The issue of our and previous generations' time still has a long way to go, but the real story is this. There are many, many more babies alive today, thanks to God using Ruth Bader Ginsburg... Donald Trump, and Mitch McConnell. It's truly cosmic. This is just, I think, not knowing that this is the number one story, but actually, given the way things were trending, I probably should have guessed it when we were talking last hour, but I just think this goes back to what I said at the end of the last hour. Mm -hmm. I think we need to consider, I think we need to consider that many of us are far more married to the win, save, save your country via elections, vote Republican or you hate America, might be a lot more married to that paradigm than our creator is, from whom our rights come from. And finish the line from God to Moses. It's be still and await Be still and Lord. know that I am God. And, yeah. and so you're talking about they're yeah. at the banks of the Red Sea. They think they've been freed. And Pharaoh's heart has, has been has, has not only been hardened, but he has had a change of heart now, and he sends his commanding chariots after the Israelites. And they're up against the sea, and they have no route of escape. And they look at Moses and say, hey, you, you, why did you bring us out here? You didn't bring us out here for deliverance. You brought us out here just to kill us. There's our red wave, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, We're up against yeah. the red wave, actually. Yeah. yeah. From the Red Sea. I see what you did there. And Moses looks at them. He doesn't know what God is going to do. He has no idea yet. God has not told him yet, hold up your staff and see what happens. He hasn't done that yet. But Moses has seen enough, has seen enough from God that he looks at the people and he says, Stand still and wait for the salvation of the Lord. Maybe that's our theme for next year. Well, I'm kind of thinking it's going to be stand, actually. Just a very simple word that everybody can remember. Stand. Stand still and wait for the salvation of the Lord. And it is then that God says to Moses, raise your staff. 
and the and they see the the sea is parted and they walk through these parted waters on dry land and once the nation has made it across god lowers the waters to drown and sink the egyptian army and and i i just think we need to and i don't know exactly what that means okay i'm not a prophet I'm just an I'm just a keen observer. Okay, I'm not a prophet here. I don't have an official title. I I just think it's at least discussable, if not debatable, that you're getting a lot more out of Elon Musk owning Twitter than you would have gotten out of Mitch McConnell, Senate Majority Leader. I think that's at least open, an open question. Open. Yeah. Okay. Wide I, open. I I think you I think you you saved a lot more babies with the overturning of Roe than you would have with Mehmet Oz in the U.S. Senate. Than you would have with some pro-choice Republican governor in Oregon with an R after her name. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, and... I, Again, I'm not a prophet. I'm just a keen observer. And I just want to make sure we're not ingrates. Jesus said the one unforgivable sin was the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. Are we sure God didn't answer our prayer? Are we sure God didn't act just as we wanted him to and hoped he would? Just not necessarily in the way that we are accustomed to or prefer. Not in our paradigm, but in his. I mean, we watched the shibboleth of the damned we thought would never, ever, ever be destroyed. We watched it get smashed. And, and not in a period of time right now when we think we got a lot of momentum either. But in some of the darkest days, many of us thought we'd ever see yeah. in, in the West. Yeah. I mean, who had, who had Elon Musk? I don't, guys, I'm going to take a time out from selling electric cars and promoting the transhumanist globalist agenda to go ahead and just open up all the Kennedy assassination level files on government corruption specifically in many cases targeting God's actual people <laughs> did you have that on your bingo card at the start of this year I did not do you think it was on Elon Musk's bingo card at the start of this I year I do not I don't either do you guys know what the odds of those two events randomly occurring in such a short period of time happened to be I'll just put it this way. As the great prophet Han Solo once said, never tell me the odds. They're pretty friggin' astronomical, man. That's not how I thought this day was going to go. That is not how I thought this day was going to go. Exactly. They're pretty friggin' astronomical. So those are either two incredibly cosmic coincidences that just so happen to benefit people like us the most. Or stand still and wait for the salvation of the Lord. Let's move on. Let's go back to last December. And I laid out my top 10 predictions for the year 2022. And having not looked at these since last December... I have a sneaking suspicion they didn't turn out well. <laughs> All right. So let us begin. Aaron, 
Number 10. I predicted an, an unsettling year in foreign policy. Well, nailed it. I mean, that did kind of happen, right? Yeah. We did kind of have an unsettling year in foreign policy. Um, now, I think you got to be a little bit more specific than that because we, we kind of had an unsettling year and everything. But I predicted Russia takes over Ukraine. Or at least that's up for debate. Yeah. They, 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 they did make the incursion. Yeah. China topples Taiwan. That did not happen. With each choosing to strike in response to the weakness projected by the Biden presidency. Meanwhile, Prime Minister Bennett doesn't last long in Israel. That actually can end up happening here fairly mm-hmm. soon. You've seen a resurgence of Benjamin Netanyahu's Likud party mm-hmm. uh, in there. Um, and anti-mandate protests in places like Germany, Austria, Australia, and New Zealand will turn violent as governments there continue to both ignore and trample on the rights of the people. Now, in those places, the COVID stand regime ended up pulling back before we got to that point. But you guys' overall thoughts on how accurate this turned out to be? It's it's accurate enough. There's been uh, protests across uh, the world about getting uh, freedoms back. There's election protests as we speak in uh, Brazil. We have no idea how that's going to end up. I mean, you, this is not a... Uh, the, the, remember during Trump's tenure, how, how placid? I mean, really, lions were laying down with lambs. During the Trump presidency. At least the best. The only reason I wouldn't rank him the best foreign policy president of my lifetime is Reagan did finish off the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. And I kind of think you should get bonus yeah. points yeah. for that. Okay. But. But Reagan completed a paradigm that was underway long before he took office. Mm-hmm. Trump initiated in his administration and initiated a wholly different foreign policy paradigm, which I'm all for. Mm-hmm. Which it, it's the old speak softly and carry a big stick, man. If you're for us, we're for you. If you're not, you're going to wish you were for us. And if you don't care, just stay out of our way and we don't care either. You you do your own thing and we'll do ours, mm-hmm. right? He initiated that and it was marvelously successful doing so. I'll give you, well, we always give full points or half points. So I'm giving you a full point for this one. What about you, Aaron? Full point. Yeah, yep. full point. All right. Thank you. That's kind. All right. This one will be no points. And this is one of all the 10. This is the one Todd wished the most I had gotten correct. I had the Green Bay Packers winning Super Bowl 56. Little karma, little Atlas shrugged karma for some of the things that Aaron Rodgers was saying last year that so angered the spirit of the age media. But alas, somehow y'all lost to a team from California at home in the snow you did. in a playoff game. I still can't figure that one out. Blows my mind, but it happened. I've seen a variation of this ever since, what, 2010 when the Packers, they before their time, they they got hot right at the, uh, the, the what they hope to kind of do right now, they're six and eight, they mm-hmm. hope to win the next thing get in. They they were, in that season when they won the Super Bowl and beat the Steelers, they went on a run at the end, and they, I think they ended up 11 and five or something, but they were about 500 and, and got hot and then just went through but then it was the very next year you remember we were like 15 and one mm-hmm. that it, we had, then we had kind of arrived we just had won that super bowl a little early but we got knocked out by the giants 
and being a Packer fan ever since, I make no complaints about it. it. It's certainly fun to watch, but some kind of version of this is we always go to the playoffs. This will be the first, this might be the first year, except for one Aaron Rodgers injury year when he missed a, right. where we don't, of course we get in the playoffs, so, but then we just don't capitalize. All right, number, number eight is dead wrong too. For the second straight year, a Spider-Man movie will be the top grossing film at the box office. I predicted it would be the animated sequel to maybe the greatest animated film ever made. Spider-Man uh, Across the Spider-Verse. Um, the anticipated sequel to the 2018 Oscar winner. is in, That, that movie is absolutely incredible. However, in January of last year, shortly after we published this, Marvel announced, or Sony announced, this is a Sony project, Sony announced that it was actually delaying this film until summer of this year. It was supposed to be out this Christmas. and uh, So summer of next year. So obviously since the film never came out, this one can't be true. So yeah, I zero. assume that the top grossing movie is Top Gun. Top Gun will be the top grossing film, depending on what Avatar ends up doing. Um, the Avatar sequel, the reviews on that thing are decidedly mixed, though. Are they? I haven't even yeah. seen that. Uh, that came out last Friday. I've been so busy with my own movie. I haven't even had a chance to see what the the box office was yeah, on it. Me but, too. Uh, I've been really busy with my movie. He just, <laughs> what he just said. I did not. Gosh, no, 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 Holy no. cow, did that sound douche-tastic. No, it, it, no, it didn't. But it was literally it's, true. I was literally traveling. It sounded epic. Yeah. You it, can, you're can. you saying things like this because they're true. It's phenomenal. It, it, it sounded really douchey, man, and no. I didn't mean it to, so my bad. No, no, no. Okay. I would have told you. I appreciate that. But this is a zero because the film wasn't even oh, released yeah. it's this a zero. year. Yeah, all right. Number seven. This this didn't work either. Obi-Wan Kenobi will surpass even The Mandalorian and inspire Disney to make a surprising feature film announcement, which was um, a movie based on Darth Vader's exploits and further exploration of the dark side of the Force. Because they don't know what they're doing, they did not do that. Because we would have liked that, and that would have been cool, and people would have cheered and said, the Force is with us again. But they hate their base, like the Republicans, and hate their audience, so they didn't do that. And nor did they make a series that comes even close to The Mandalorian. Now, I liked this series. It's good. But it's just good. It, it, it should have been Mandalorian great. And that, that it's not. It's just pretty good. But it's not great. Yeah, I was much less impressed overall. And then we get to the end, and we both ended up agreeing. Like, That's true. I mean, I, I thought the series was potentially great till we got to the end. Yeah. And the end I didn't like at all, and I downgraded it to just good. Because to me, the end undermined the original narrative then. I mean, then what was the then why didn't he kill him when he had the chance oh, yeah. and save the galaxy? Why did he let him, you know, that made no yeah, sense. Cut, this is what the, you know, when you get to emo dude, you, when he literally was your best friend five years ago, you cut off three of his limbs and yes. let him burn and left him to die. Yes. Now, you know, he's Darth Vader. Uh, actually, and, you don't at the beginning, which I was also interesting. They didn't like, he, he was shocked. Somehow he knew that these these other evil right, people right. existed, but he did not right. know that Anakin was in that until the movie came in. How much time had passed? Like a decade or something? Correct. And then 
after leaving him for dead and burning alive, then he had another shot to take him out, and he just he lets like, him go again to just wreak more away. havoc. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very weak. I mean, very weak. I I didn't like the ending at all. And I loved I loved the series up until the ending. The ending I just thought was what 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 is this? Made no sense whatsoever. All right, number six, I freaking nailed that Omicron would destroy the COVID stand narrative. You remember, it was about this time last year that Omicron was emerging as the dominant wave of COVID. And we were seeing evidence out of its native South Africa and other countries that were not heavily jabbed that it was evidence that the virus was attenuating. Now, I will tell you guys this. I won't tell you who it is who told me this, but I will tell you it is a name you all know. And maybe someday he'll just come out and say it himself. But this time last year, a name you would know told Daniel and I that he absolutely believed that like the original COVID, Omicron was leaked from a lab. That someone counter-leaked this variant uh, in order to get rid of the previous COVID variants to end whatever they were trying to do with the original bioweapon there that this was released on purpose as the antidote. And it was released on purpose into the South African population because it was so they weren't jabbed. Yes. And so, and so natural immunity there, it was one of the least jabbed heavily populated countries on earth. So one of the quickest ways to spread natural, a natural immunity attenuation of the virus to, 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 to push back on it from a smallly evolutionary biological perspective of a name you all would know told me told daniel and i this at this time last year and that's why i made this prediction but i don't know aaron i think we need you i need to see if you agree with me at best i can give you half a point on this because the narrative is not dead for the i mean people again are uh not at the same rate but the insisting you get jabbed, died suddenly, is not causing the panic. We Even we knew that there was a bad flu early on uh, that uh, mostly only affect the elderly and the sick. People lost their minds. We shut down everything. Now uh, people of all ages are literally drop, dropping their net. We're masking again in big cities. Uh, I, I, the narrative is, is not. But you're masking gone. over flu and RSV. Let me read the description and see if you don't agree that I this one I nailed. The strain, the strain will show the coronavirus is finally attenuating, and it spreads so much throughout the country that herd immunity is finally achieved. That all happened. By summer, several European countries will return close to normal, and that debate will be raging here as well. Aaron? That all pretty much happened. Yeah, if you don't give him the whole point on this one, then you have to give him the whole point on the next one. There okay. Will, okay. Let's see it. All right, number five. There will be open dissension within the Democratic Party about whether to smartly choose the Omicron off-ramp. Every branch Covidian cultist is a Democrat, but not every Democrat is a branch Covidian cultist. The Democratic governors of Colorado, Kansas, and Connecticut have already sent some signals they're ready to sell their COVID COVID stand stock now before it goes short. And in an election year, they won't be alone as a growing chorus of Democrats up for re-election realize they are doomed in November if they can't return the country to some form of normalcy in time to boost the economy and overall mood. However, in the end, the gravitational pull of their Branch Covidian Twitter woke cable news base will prove to be too strong. And systemically, Democrats are incapable of choosing insanity, which goes to what you were just talking about. Yeah. Exactly. 
So what are we giving them, Aaron? You can be the final arbiter. Combining so let's two. do a half point on the other one and a full point on this one. Because I can't. Because if you give them a half point on the other one, you have to give them a whole point on this one. Yeah, I think. 1. All right. 5. So what are we so at? Are we at three and a half? Three and a half. Two and a half. Okay. Frankly, that is oh, a lot half, better yeah. than I thought I was <laughs> going to do. Okay. Uh, number four. Republicans surpass the net gain of House seats won in the contract with America election of 1994. Let's just move on. No. Yeah. Uh, number three. <laughs> you nailed this one. Did nail this one. Cracks in Trump's base continues to emerge because of the jab. And it's all stuff that we ended up talking about right. very often this year Three is what's in the description. So this this is actually Man. turning out a little better than you I got, thought. You could get above five. I thought that was going to be impossible. I mean, really, if you nail these next two. All right. Looking at number two, we we didn't. <laughs> Number two, Republicans also emerge with a narrow Senate majority, which causes Trump to badger Mitch McConnell into announcing his retirement. This is how it should have gone. This is what should have happened. But it it did not. <laughs> this one I got right, though. Number one, DeSantis dominates Florida Governor Ron DeSantis posts a double-digit victory in his re-election campaign. And by the end of the year, polls show he is the most net-favorable Republican politician in the country. Both of those things happened. Well, let's give him one and a half then. That would give me to five if you guys are so benevolent. Frankly, two, I'm ecstatic at three and a half. Two-legged not, parlay there. I'm not, that's true. I've not looked at these since December. When I wrote them and we and we talked about them on the or yeah. January, because January, yeah. that's the day, first day we come back is in January that we did the show on these. Yeah, I've not looked at them since then. These actually turned out a little better than I was anticipating. I'll give you a five that's because a- I was thinking that these were all going to be election predictions and I was so way wrong. But I, I actually did fairly well. Yeah, agreed. I mean, you get one of the pop culture things right then you're over them and well i don't know what the mendoza line is but you're over i mean you're making money in vegas 60 percent. have you started curating your top 10 for next year the only prediction i have for right now is russia is that putin won't survive the year that's the only one that i have right now let's pretend it's just us here there's one i'm contemplating and i just want to get your instant reaction to it all right not saying it's going to be on the list when we come back on January 9th, mm-hmm. all right? But that's, there's one I'm contemplating. Elon Musk announces independent run for president. Now, you're going to he say can't. he can't. Just challenges it in court. What's it mean? Because we had those debates with Barack Obama, Right? Was he a natural-born citizen because of his father? We had those debates with Donald Trump and Ted Cruz. Donald Trump's mother, Scottish, born in Scotland. Donald Trump's, or, or Ted Cruz's dad, born in Cuba. So what, what does the phrase natural-born citizen mean? Let's adjudicate it. Let's find out what, what does it mean. That, that phrase has been under okay. some debate for going on... You know, the, 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 the a second decade now. To speak to uh, Aaron's quip uh, on yesterday's show, if you go with that direction, we are getting significantly closer to Antichrist territory. 
I don't see that happening. I think I. I think he actually likes DeSantis. I mean, he's in Florida a, a ton. In Florida a ton. If he had any qualms about DeSantis, he would have passive-aggressively or overtly said something by now. Because he's a pretty, for the most part, he seems like an open book. Agreed. More interestingly, did you know Elon Musk is an Iron Man too? I did know that, yeah. I was just watching it a couple days ago. Yeah. It was on TV. Yeah. Blown away. Because when Iron Man 2 came out, I, I had no idea what an Elon Musk was. Yeah, I've only learned in the last few years. Yeah. There, there he is in Monaco at the race, sure yeah. enough. True or false? The odds that Elon Musk would attempt to run for president are correlated directly to the odds that Ron DeSantis can defeat Donald Trump for the GOP nomination. Repeat false. that. Okay. Oh, so this is a true false. false. They're okay. not. Um, yeah, I, I would say false. And no, at all. Uh, 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 at uh, all? Uh, 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 like uh, like uh, from uh, zero to actually, 2%, from 2 to 5%. Actually, I see this. Maybe I'm seeing this the other way around. If Donald Trump defeats Ron DeSantis, can I see Elon Musk running independently? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, okay. That's what I mean. They're well, directly correlated to okay. one another. That okay. those odds are a correlated parlay. Then yes. Now, I'm not saying that, that the, uh, the odds, you, you, you don't have to even think that the odds are high. You might think they're zero. Okay, fine. You don't think they go to 1% if Trump beats DeSantis? You don't even think they go to 1%? No. You think it's 0.0 like Animal House, no matter what happens? Correct. I don't believe that. I don't know that I believe in this enough to make it an official prediction in January, but I don't believe the odds are zero. I don't believe it at all. I think, here's what I think with Elon Musk, and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about him. He's just a guy, right? It's just we're not used to seeing alpha males like this. Aaron... The story about your guy, was it like your first pet, your first dog? Charmin, yep. Yep, and just lovely little puppy, right? Yeah. Got out in the backyard and yep. acted on his nature-given urges, correct? Yep. And then once he had that taste for blood, what happened? He was never the same. Never the same. See where I'm going with this? Yes. I mean, look how, ag- look how more aggressive Musk has gotten. Look how more frequent he has gotten in, in commenting directly to people on the right and, fa- and, and favorably. Look, did you guys believe that within 60 days of Elon Musk taking over Twitter, he was going to call for criminal prosecution of Anthony Fauci? Did you believe no, that? Because no. I certainly hadn't. <laughs> that wasn't on my bingo card. This thing's accelerating. I, I, so I don't, to me, it's the most, and this is why I contemplated making it one of my predictions in January. It's the logical conclusion of this story. Under certain well, scenarios. Well, then the logical conclusion, and I mean it, of you putting him on a top 10 list to do this is to th- talk a lot more about the reality of the Antichrist. I, th- I, ha- I did think about Elon Musk being the Antichrist for a while. I did. And then I just came to the conclusion that he doesn't have the crossover appeal that I would anticipate the Antichrist does. Like, he's five minutes from being the next Trump. Not yet. Like, he's five minutes from, we wouldn't dare, like, we're, we're going to, they're gonna, they're five minutes away from erasing him out of Iron Man 2. Like, ESPN likes to forget they ever did golf tournaments at Trump courses, okay? See, not yet. This Vox Populi Vox Day 
thing that he's got going on. Yeah. He banned all those journalists. He ran a Twitter poll. Should I unban them now or in seven days? And he did what the people said. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then uh, what was the other? Oh, yes. Should I step down as from leading Twitter? And it sounds like he's going to uh, step down because the people voted. That type of thing, not in a gaslighting way, but he is beyond reproach. He's making himself beyond reproach. Yeah. Yeah. See, I don't think he's going to step down. I think he's going to claim that the poll was a honeypot to capture bots. Well, it was that, but he's he's he says he's looking for. He doesn't want to. He wants to clean house at the beginning. He wants a CEO, so he's going to be able to fill. But asking the people what the you're describing. You realize this is Wonder Woman 1984 and Maxwell Lord stuff. Exactly. <laughs> Who they they clearly tried to base off of Donald Trump and did it very, very poorly, obviously. Uh, that movie's just, wow, it's a disaster. But What, 1984? Yeah, that movie's not good. Oh, you think that was a disaster? I don't, that movie's not oh. good. Didn't think it was good when I saw it. It's not good. Uh, I mean, it's not as good as the first one, but it, it's I mean, the first right. one it, it's is a, right. The first one's a masterpiece. First one's a masterpiece. More likely, more likely in two years, and we have 30 seconds, Elon Musk revealed as, as the Antichrist or becomes President of the United States. God. Yes. Old. Wow. Old. Lindsey Graham is back in town. Wow. I, Man. I don't feel bad at all about it. It is a Wednesday. An Antichrist question. We'll be back in a moment. Wow. The Steve Day Show. This, in the last few years, I think has become my favorite Christmas carol. I love it. Me too. I mean, yeah. it, it was Hark the Herald Angels Sing most of my life. And it, it, it's not like it's, you know, like precipitously dropped. It might be two or three at the worst. But I think Oh Come All Ye Faithful has become my number one. And I love the, the, the Disney Jim Carrey animated version of uh, A Christmas Carol that they did about uh, what 10 or 12 years ago it's tremendous I, th- I think it's the best adaptation it's certainly the most directly faithful adaptation of uh, Dickens story that I think has ever been done and it's incredible the animation's incredible um, Carrie's performances Ebenezer Scrooge is, is, is incredible and throughout that movie there is kind of this almost like a haunting positively haunting boy like almost like hey remember we're here uh, boys choir kind of version of this Christmas Carol that kind of plays throughout, you know, pivotal moments, mm-hmm. moving the the story and the plot along and really adds to it that, uh, I mean, I, I love this song. No question about it. I think the best version I've heard of this, Celine Dion's version is incredible. If you've never heard it, go find Celine Dion's version of Oh Come mm. All Ye Faithful. It will make the hair on the back of your neck stand up kind of stuff. Like, yeah, the woman can I mean, sing. just, I mean, divine. That's how good it is. Mm-hmm. All right. We conclude with our clip of the year. And I'm not going to give it any introduction other than to, other than to tell you, because I, I think 
experiencing it in real time and and what is said here and the amount of wisdom that's about to be dropped would be more impactful if we just hit it with you cold. This comes courtesy of GB News and Neil Oliver. It's hard to think the unthinkable, but there comes a time when there's nothing else for it. People raised to trust the powers that be who have assumed, like I once did, that the state, regardless of its political flavour at any given moment, is essentially benevolent and well-meaning, will naturally try and keep that assumption of benevolence in mind when trying to make sense of what's going on around them. People like us, you and me, raised in the understanding that we are free, that we have inalienable rights, and that the institutions of this country have our best interests at heart, will tend to tie ourselves in knots rather than contemplate the idea those authorities might actually be working against us now. I took that thought of benevolent, well-meaning authority for granted for most of my life. God help me. Not to put too fine a point on it, I was as gullible as the next chump. A couple of years ago, however, I began to think the unthinkable. And with every passing day, it becomes more and more obvious to me that we are no longer being treated as individuals entitled to try and make the most of our lives, but as a barn full of battery hens, just another product to be bought and sold, sold down the river. Let me put it another way. If you've been driving yourself almost demented in an effort to think the best of those in charge, those in senior positions in government, those in charge of the great institutions of state, those running the big corporations, but finding it increasingly impossible to do so, then the solution to the problem might be to turn your point of view through 180 degrees and accept, however unwillingly that we are, how best to put this, being taken for a ride. When you find a stranger's hand on your wallet, in the inside pocket of your jacket, rather than trying to persuade yourself he's only making sure it doesn't fall out, it might be more straightforward to draw the conclusion you're in the process of being robbed. Once the scales fall from a person's eyes, the resultant clarity of sight is briefly overwhelming. Or it's like being handed a skeleton key that opens every locked door, or access to a Rosetta stone that translates every word into a language instantly understood. Take the energy crisis. If you felt the blood drain from your face at the prospect of bills rising from hundreds to several thousands of pounds while reading about energy companies doubling their profits overnight, while being commanded to subsidise so-called renewables that are anything but green, while listening to this politician or that renew their vows to the ruinous fantasies of net zero and Agenda 2030, while knowing that the electricity for electric cars comes in the main and most reliably from fossil fuels, if you can't make sense of it all and just know that it adds up to a future in which you might have to choose between eating and heating, then treat yourself to the gift of understanding that the powers that be fully intend that we should have less heat and less fuel, and that in the planned future only the rich will have cars anyway. The plan is not to fix it, the plan is to break it and leave it broken. If you struggle to think the best of the world's richest, vacuous, self-obsessed A-list celebrities among them, endlessly circling the planet on private jets and super yachts so as to attend get-togethers where they might pontificate to us lowly proles about how we must give up our cars and occasional holiday flights, even meet on the dinner table. If you wonder how they have the unmitigated gall then isn't it easier simply to accept that their honestly declared and advertised intention is that their luxurious and pampered lives will continue as before while we are left hungry, cold and mostly unwashed in our unheated homes? Here's the thing. 
if any leader or celeb honestly meant a word of their sermons about CO2 and the rest, then they would obviously lead by example. They would be first of all of us, willingly giving up international travel altogether. They would downsize to modest homes warmed by heat pumps. They would eschew all energy but that from the sun and the wind. They would eat with relish bugs and plants. They would resort to walking, bicycles and public transport. If net zero and the rest was about the good of the planet and not about clearing the skies and the beaches of scum like us, don't you think those sainted politicians and A-listers would be lighting the way for us by their own example? If the way of life they preach at us was worth living, wouldn't they be living it already? Perhaps you heard Bill Gates say private jets are his guilty pleasure. And how about food, and more particularly the predicted shortage of it? The suits and CEOs blame it all on Vladimir Putin. But if the countries of the world are truly running out of food, why is our government offering farmers hundreds of thousands of pounds to get out of the industry and sell their land to transnational corporations for use or disuse unknown? Why aren't we as a society doing what our parents and grandparents did during World War II and digging for victory? Why is the government intent on turning a third of our fertile soil over to rewilding schemes that make life better only for the beavers? Why aren't we looking across the North Sea towards the Netherlands, where a WEF-infected administration is bullying farmers off their land altogether, forcing them to cull half the national herd? Those Dutch farmers are among the most productive and knowledgeable in the world, holding in their heads and hands the answers to all manner of questions about how best to produce food. And yet their government is so intent on scaring them out of the business that a teenage boy in a tractor taking part in a protest to defend ancient rites and traditions was fired on by police. Why do you think it matters so much to the government of the second most productive population of farmers in the world to gut and fillet that industry? Why? Why have similar protests in countries all across Europe and the wider world been largely ignored by the mainstream media, a media that would have crawled on its hands and knees over broken glass just to report on a BLM protester opening a bag of non-binary crisps? Why the silence on the attack on farming? And while we're on the subject of farmland ownership, why is computer salesman Bill Gates buying so much farmland in the US, more than a quarter of a million acres in 19 states at the last count, while simultaneously promoting the production and sale of fake meat? And why have so many small planes crashed into massive food processing plants in the US, sparking fires and thereby hobbling the production and distribution of yet more of the very stuff of life? Why is this happening to farmers and farming all across the hitherto developed world? Isn't the simple, obvious answer the answer that makes most sense and that is staring us in our trusting faces that power for the power-hungry has always rested most effectively upon control of food and its supply? Why are the powers that be attributing this to a cost-of-living crisis when everyone with two brain cells to rub together can see it's a cost-of-lockdown crisis, the inevitable consequence of shutting down the whole country, indeed the whole world, for the best part of two years, Soaring inflation, rising interest rates, disrupted supply chains. Might they be calling it a cost of living crisis as part of their barefaced attempt to distract us from the fact that while ordinary individuals face a life and death struggle in the coming months, the corporations have celebrated their share of the greatest transfer of wealth in history? Doesn't that seem more likely? However unthinkable, might it not be more compelling to ask why our government and governments around the world have effectively stood by and held the coats of huge corporations while those money magnets pulled almost all of the world's wealth into their already creaking coffers? 
Are our governments more interested in enabling, in aiding and abetting the rich than in lifting so much as a finger to protect our livelihoods, our ways of life? I'm only asking. What about the money in our pockets? Why is it getting harder and harder to use good old cash, notes and coins? Why are we being nudged further and further away from spending power we can see and hold and towards a digital alternative that exists only on the hard drives of the banks that run the world? Why is that, do you think? Rather than dismiss as yet another conspiracy theory the idea of cash being ultimately replaced with transactions based on the exchange of what amount to glorified food stamps that will only be accepted if our social credit score demonstrates that we've been obedient girls or boys. How about taking the leap and focusing on the blatantly obvious, that if we're not free to buy whatever and whenever we please, free of the surveillance and snooping of governments and the banks that run them, then we have absolutely no freedom at all. And while we're on the subject of money and banks, why not pause to notice something else that's glaringly obvious, which is to say that the currency of the West are teetering on the abyss and that one bank after another is revealed to those who are bothering to watch as being as close to bankruptcy as it's possible to be without actually falling over the edge. Then there's the so-called vaccines for COVID. I deliberately say so-called because by now it should be clear to all but the willfully blind that those injections do not work as advertised. You can still contract the virus, still transmit the virus, still get sick from the virus and still die of the virus. Denmark has dropped their use for under-18s. All across the world, every day, more evidence emerges, however grudgingly, however much the various complicit authorities and big pharma companies might hate to admit it, of countless deaths and injuries caused by those medical procedures. And yet here in Britain, and just about everywhere else, governments continue to try and get those needles into as many arms as possible, even the arms of the smallest and youngest. The ripe stink of corruption is everywhere. A trusted authority for most of my life. Now I ask myself on a daily basis how I ignored the stench for so long. That clip's about, what, six months? It's been out for a while. Yeah, I think that's about six months old. It's our clip of the year. I don't know Neil Oliver. Never heard the name until I saw this clip. But if I was a better-looking, slightly older, with a very cool Scottish brogue, form of myself and calmer every word of that rant could have been given right here on this show yep every last word that's why it was selected as our clip of the year gentlemen your thoughts do you think it was a worthy selection it's 200 proof straight um sobriety which is a weird uh weird metaphor to mix together but it was 200 proof sobriety. Any person, let's just tamp down the emotion. Let's have our eyes and ears wide open. And let's honestly assess what we see at a thousand foot, not 10,000 foot, but just a thousand foot view. It sounds a lot like what he just said. And it just perfectly distills, to use another alcohol term, perfectly distills the contents of this program over the last, now, three years. Um, what we're seeing now, it's funny we've been talking about the Antichrist, but what we are seeing right now is, it, it is really unprecedented. Mm-hmm. 
in human history. And I said this as well during the pandemic. You know, World War One, World War Two. there were clear, even at the government levels, there were clear bad guys and good guys. Or at least clear sides. Outside of the third world, there were no sides. It was boot, meet ant. And you see that now continuing at even greater, on even greater stages. I think Neil Oliver's words sum that all up. Lies beget lies beget power beget lies begets more control. Too many keep falling for that lie, though. And until people are crushed enough, until people have suffered enough because of the West's largesse and comfort, that lie will be able to go down with a few more spoonfuls of comfort, entertainment, sugar, what have you. Preach, Todd. Yeah, all that's missing is him being on horseback with his face painted blue saying, Sons of Scotland. It's, uh, <laughs> I mean, he's, yeah, it's a worthy inheritor of the mantle. He's a modern day Braveheart. Because um, he asks us, Mel Gibson's Braveheart, for what would you do without freedom? And I've said it many times before. We go to that movie, and Mel Gibson says, oh, many years from now, when you're lying in your bed, would you trade mm-hmm. every day from this day to that to have one chance mm-hmm. to tell them you may take my life, but you will never take my freedom. And then, just like he said, and he he admits it, I, I was just doing this like last year. Guys, uh, you leave that movie all inspired. Yeah, and then you let everybody take your freedom in every way possible because you'd rather be comfortable in chains. Uh, going forward next year, figuring out, you know, what, what are, how we continue to do what you have always done, Steve, but messaging the same truce in a way that finally he's trying to do break the trance. Mm -hmm. And that's what everybody is in as great of a trance. Atrocities have been committed throughout human history but for all of human history people did not simply have the ability to 24 7 lock them into themselves into a trance steve you talked about this in these two final shows about christ came into the world at exactly the right time when Mm -hmm. it was possible and the Mm -hmm. antichrist is mimicking that and Mm -hmm. that's look at or the spirit of antichrist anyway yeah all all there's all kinds of people below the poverty line it's, it's still even in America, but they have they're all walking around with cell phones, Steve. you know they the tool that that chains us uh, because that level of comfort is I mean we either break that or we're we're done. Are we the first people ever to face the challenge of comfort over conviction? No. But we might be one of the first people to fail it. Mm -hmm. See you next year. 
John 3.17.